0: You're listening to The Film File, the film podcast by film geeks for film geeks, and this is the opening title music. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford.
1: And I'm Andy Meakin.
0: We hope you're well, and we are back for another podcast that, well, just gives you a bit of film love. For the next hour and a half. And if not, then possibly even longer. Andy, how have you been?
1: I was a bit upset this week because uh, for 36 hours, the Gran Turismo 7 server was offline.
0: Oh my goodness. How did you survive?
1: Oh, it was touch and go, I'm telling you. I, I had a day off as well. So it was like one of them where it's like, I've got a day off. Everyone's out the house. I'm going to send, spend some time riding some cars. <laughs> and I couldn't. And it was like, my whole life's fallen apart as well. A I'm result. so sorry to hear that. Um, I mean, it's, uh... <laughs> It's
0: that kind of a week, I guess. Yeah, I've just felt a bit directionless this week.
1: Well, I, I was when I couldn't drive a car. <laughs> well, that be it. Why, 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 have you a bit directionless? I don't know.
0: Well, I, I, I was up for a, a tour and I, I didn't get it, and I was, I was something I was looking forward to, uh. um, and it just sort of broke, broke, broke the sort of painful reality of going. I don't thought I'd had something that I, I didn't get, so I was a bit disappointed.
1: It kind of knocks you back a bit and then uh... yeah it does because it was it was kind of
0: uh, even though it was not confirmed it was it felt like a done deal and then you're yeah. doing that so i guess it's just feeling a bit like oh back in the same old because i went into teaching just to sort of fill the gap and i'm feeling quite scared that i might end up getting trapped there and uh, i can i know people who do they go into education and they go in for five minutes and then they end up 15 years later going oh my goodness Hence movies stuck within it. like uh, Wonder Boys, for instance. I feel like I'm living Wonder Boys. Yeah, yeah. I don't, we don't want that to happen, and uh, it's up to me to make make it change. But apart from that, yeah, good. I tell you what, I did enjoy, which was uh, our uh, suggested tweet on who could have played Batman.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going well, isn't it? It's. Uh, I've basically split it off into four different branches. I'm going to post out the next branch later today. Uh, by the time this has gone out, this will be irrelevant because we'll have finished all the voting and have the results. So all you people out there who haven't jumped on board, keep a lookout because I'm loving how this is going. So we're probably going to do it like we've suggested with James Bond films and then maybe choose other franchises to also do alternate castings. Because I I did like the the casting decisions for Batman 1989, which there were so many names thrown in. I did two groupings and then took the top two from each of them to throw into the ultimate Batman 89 fan voting. I've done the Batman Forever, the alternate names that were thrown out for when Val Kilmer was going to get cast. I've done Batman Begins, the alternate names for there. And the final one will be Batman, The Batman. Matt Reeves is one from this year, the alternate casting choices for there. And then I'm going to take the top one from each of them to play off against each other for the ultimate Batman casting. And yeah. it's interesting to see, like that, it's, there's a couple of people who agreed with us that Bill Murray would have been an interesting choice and I would have loved yeah. to have seen it. But most people seem to have been going for the safe options. Like I say, by the time that this has gone out to like the world, we'll have finished the whole lot of the run of the voting. So feel free to head over to the Twitter and have a look through the tweets that we've done over this weekend to see who came out on top. I mean, Keanu Reeves got a good voting on the Batman Forever edition. He took a yeah, interesting. Huge I, I wouldn't
0: definitely wouldn't have seen as as Batman,
1: and no, and Daniel no. Day Lewis, which uh,
0: too serious.
1: I think he would have actually become Batman just to get into the role.
0: Yes, absolutely. He would have lived <laughs> the life of a, of a bat in a cave to get there instead of living like a Playboy millionaire, which if I'd got the, got the gig, that's what I would... I get this Batman character. I'll just go and explore yeah. the Playboy millionaire <laughs> aspect. I've got another challenge for this week as well.
1: What's What's the challenge
0: for this week? Another Twitter challenge. Another Twitter it, went, challenge. it was so successful on the last one. Uh, this week's Twitter challenge... Now, you might want to, to fiddle about and put some detail into it, Andy, uh, because you're good at that. And, and, and the way that you uh, progressed the Batman idea in, into something new and exciting, I thought was great. But films that you think should have deserved a sequel. Now, we often talk about sequels as being sometimes disappointing as a follow up and can sometimes, hey, I'm looking at you, Highlander 2, can ruin mm-hmm. the original. But some films that you've seen do deserve a, a sequel and some films either because they didn't do well initially at the box office or um, did the story fulfill everything or they just could never get it together. But films that deserve a sequel. So for instance, if John Carpenter had done a thing sequel, yeah, you know, what are the films that you think should have deserved, rightly so, a sequel? Not a reboot, but a sequel.
1: I love that your whole selection pick of the film to mention as an example of a bad sequel, which wasn't needed. You've basically gone for a friend's film. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was there. I was interested. I was there during the
0: pre-production of
1: it. Russell, if you're listening, I've got a bit of love for your second film. It's it's not as good as your first film.
0: <laughs> I mean, I know the problems that happened on it. <laughs> yeah. I know I, why it turned out that it
1: did. To be fair, is it is it the renegade cut? Is it called the Renegade Cut, which is the one which is completely rejigged? Yeah, I've never seen that. I must be honest. That must... polishes it up immensely. Okay. It makes a huge difference because it, it, it gets rid of the like aliens from another planet aspect and does them as an ancient civilization. That works.
0: Oh, I, I, I didn't know that. Maybe I should uh, I should readdress it and, uh, and apologize to, to friends. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it could be a deep dive at some point. Yeah, I'd have to see the Renegade Cut. Uh, yeah. uh, absolutely. So, anyway, that is uh, the challenge, the Twitter challenge for this week, and I, I've got I've got one ready for next week, just as just because I'm, I'm I'm on a wrong with it.
1: <laughs> Before I get onto a little bit of a rant, uh, I'll just want <laughs> to men- it's
0: a film file. People expect it.
1: <laughs> I just want to mention that, like, my me, me daughter turned sixteen this week this past. Oh, congratulations! Week. And it, yeah, when your daughter turns sixteen, it makes you a scared and b realize how old you're getting. But um, last night. Uh, she had one of her friends over to have like a, a birthday celebration afternoon dinner thing. Cool. And she she stayed over, but they slept in a tent in the back garden because last time that she had friends over, I got grumpy at the fact that my living room had been taken over and I couldn't get in from work and then chill out and watch a film. So I was like, I've got to sit in the, the computer in the kitchen and do nothing. Uh, <laughs> so they decided they were going to have a fun night out camping. So the tent was all set up. I was that close, that close. When I got home from work last night, to doing a blur witch on them, <laughs> going out into the garden, shining a torch against it, and like bashing on the side of it, and then running off. Uh, but you know, the I, only I, downside
0: of that, Andy, <laughs> is the therapy you'd have to be paying for for the rest of your life.
1: That's kind of what put me off because I need all the money that I can for the petrol bills and the, the fuel bills <laughs> over the next few months. But little bit of a little bit of a rant, or more a bit of a mocking attack on a certain a certain favourite society of mine.
0: Yeah, well, it is a year's anniversary, isn't it, of a certain...
1: Yeah, it popped up on my feed this week. that uh, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League came out a year ago, and I, I'd logged watching it. And I also took pleasure last year of pointing out all the people who'd been criticising all the th- scenes that they thought were Josh Whedon's, which turned out to be Zack Snyder's, had suddenly gone very quiet on that subject. Uh, but <laughs> they decided to celebrate it this weekend by doing one of their mass tweet-outs. You know where they hashtag something... To say, oh, look, 55,000 people have, have, shared, have, have hashtagged restore the Snyderverse. And there's photoshopped images from Snyder's films with little elements added in that they're now saying, oh, something must be happening. They're clearly making a sequel because this is like someone's added that in themselves. It's photoshopped. Stop building your hopes up. You. Idiots, but um, <laughs> I saw th- I saw them as well. Like with it, yeah, you know, fifty five thousand people have already done hashtag. We the Snyderverse. That's 55,000 people. No, it's fifty five thousand tweets, including re- retweets. Well, I've done this maths last year. If you take hundred people and each of them do ten tweets, that's a thousand tweets per person. If each of them retweet each other, multiply that again. And you got with within within three reach years, you're gonna be up to yeah tens th- tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. Yeah. A small amount of people make a lot of tweets, as you cultists have shown. <laughs> I I get their passion. I love their passion. I mean, at the end of the day, I would love there to be a dread sequel. There needs to be a dread sequel. And that's gotta be There you go.
0: That's that's another one for, for my list, actually, is sequels that didn't exist that you would yeah always up there dread you can get the ball rolling
1: I, I've wanted for ages for various like recuts of films I'd love to see David Lynch's June uncut edition it's never gonna happen I've got to the stage now that you go you know what if it happens I'll be excited but is it worth spe- devoting your life and some of the people devote their life to this and I just think have you got nothing else going on it's is there not a leaky pipe in your mother's basement that you can fix or something? Because you <laughs> you, you really do need to find a different hobby. But, you know, if, if it ever happens, kudos to them. I'm hoping if it does happen, it, does ha- it happens the way that they seem to want it to happen now, that Discovery do it as a HBO Max exclusive. And let the mm-hmm. movies at the cinema be more general audience things because they'll make money. Whereas a Snyder's Justice League 2, let's be honest, it won't break the box office apart.
0: No. No, I think that's that's the thing to keep in mind. Is it's clearly, uh, as in, in any cult, and we've seen it with films that we that we've loved and films that we don't love. When when it's a fan demand, then fans go to see it. I, uh, Veronica yeah. Mars is a perfect example of that. As one of yeah. those that you know always knew that there wasn't going to be a huge market for the film. That's why they they fan funded it, uh, yeah. and people who, who who liked Veronica Mars got the film that they wanted. So it was closure to the TV series, but it doesn't mean that everybody out there is is, is going to like it.
1: But I'm, I'm fully expecting that if you if we do this Twitter challenge, and this is why I got onto this rant, if we do okay. this Twitter challenge with films that should have got a sequel that never got one, does that risk that my feed is going to be filled with the spam of Restore the Sponidaverse? All it'll take is one of them to latch onto that question, and that's it. My Twitter feed is just going to get destroyed. But well, <laughs> I'll put it out there anyway and see what happens, because, you know, I'll... I'll take the opportunity to yeah, mock it's, them. it's
0: the films that you think <laughs> just as you just said, for instance, Dread, which Dread. Uh, would have made a, a perfect perfect sequel, uh, and yep. there were other films that were discussed at the time that were going to get sequels, whether it deserved it or not. Uh, the Tintin that Peter Jackson was going to do as the follow-up yep. to Steven Spielberg's. Uh, I have a, the script for remember Inside Man, the Spike Lee movie. There yep. was uh, there was a script for that, uh, a, a possibility of a, an Untouchable sequel. You know films that you think that that deserved a sequel, even if it was your choice, like a, an untouchable sequel. Yeah. What would you put? As simple as that. That's week, this week's uh, film final Twitter challenge, which I think I need a better title, but it'll do for now. <laughs> so talking of this, uh, just be quickly before we move on to see what's on the show. I had a uh, some of you listeners may know that we also do a cut down version of this, an hour version of this for No Barriers Radio, which you can find online. And if you just want to think, I just don't want to listen to these guys ramble. Then you can listen to a much more succinct show on No Barriers Radio. Anyway, I was talking to the radio station yesterday because uh, we've got to put some trailers together uh, for for the new season. I do a, a rock show as well as doing the film file, but it turns out that we we're doing really quite well on there. Ooh. there's some really. Nice. They were talking about listening figures yesterday, and the film file and and kick kickass rock show. Um, in the top five rated program.
1: Well, if anyone of any influence out there um, can help on this one, let's let's remember that last week Mayo and Commode announced that they're bringing an end to their Radio 5 live film show. Oh, are they? So, didn't you know, that. Oh, that's disappointing.
0: Because I, I... I know. It's,
1: it's been a decade and a half of them. Wow.
0: it's And there's been some great listening and not always agree with, yeah. with Mark Commode, but I didn't realise they were, they were bringing it to an end
1: even if i don't agree with him i'll always listen to yes. him because what he's saying comes from a genuine place the same way that we don't skirt around what how we genuinely feel about things yeah. he's the same he doesn't stick to a, a narrative he tells it how it is and i i respect that immensely but now it's yeah it's coming to an end so uh if anyone knows anyone inside the bbc who wants to recommend us as taking over we're quite happy <laughs> to get paid to do this
0: <laughs> that would be great i think we could uh, we could just do the podcast and the show together <laughs> Um, and all we have to do is just send over our, our radio version. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we're doing really quite well. We're in the top five of, of, uh, of the programmes. We're not number one, but uh, that is a very popular show. And uh, it's a live show as well. So I think that might have something to do with it. But, uh, and the show isn't just a UK audience and an international audience. So that might be why we do well
1: in Utah. Hello, Utah. Hello, Utah. Uh, yeah, I've already edited our advert together. Uh, okay I've not it's great because I, 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 co- I cobbled like a one minute one and a 30 second one together and sent it over and Annie sent a message back said, they sound fantastic thanks thanks guys for doing it I didn't have the heart to tell her that it like I just took <laughs> cut and pasted random quotes from you to slot in against what I've said you had nothing to do with it at all <laughs> <laughs>
0: which is pretty much like this show um, uh, it's, 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 it's no surprise that, that Andy is the driving force on this and I'm, I'm the guy who sits at the back of the bus, <laughs> chuntering.
1: I went through about three or four different past episodes to just get various times at which you've said, like, welcome to the film file, film show for film geeks by film geeks. So get different versions of stuff to, like, layer it in. And I had to basically talk through a whole script with your buzzwords in there to give me a holding space <laughs> to pot your buzzwords in.
0: <laughs> that's, that's my radio training, buzzwords. Always reminding the <laughs> listener who you, what you're listening to. And you are, in fact, listening to your favourite film podcast, The Film File. <laughs> <laughs> and what do we got in this week's show? Well, in this week's show, as ever, we are doing a deep dive. And this week's deep dive is into John Landis's seminal horror classic, comedy classic, maybe. We'll soon find out. An American Werewolf in London. Andy has got all the reviews and you're going to be talking about
1: Uh, Phantom of the Open, which opened at the cinemas this past week. Cheaper by the Dozen, which went straight onto Disney Plus. Uh, And also, I think we'll find space to squeeze in reviews of Windfall and Deep Water.
0: With a bit of luck, if there's time, I'll be telling you my thoughts on the animated shorts based around the series, The Boys. But before any of that, it's time for this week's news. So, Andy, I guess we're starting with the box office. And I guess we're looking at Batman-type figures.
1: So let's start with the US box office. And as expected, the Batman holds steady in the top spots, taking another 36.7 million. This puts the film now to... 300 million in total taken in the US, and it's up to 600 million worldwide, which after just two full weeks and one additional weekend, you have to admit, is a pretty good solid figure. Will it reach the billion? It's looking like it might slow down and finish around 850 to 900, but it might get another surge in the coming weeks.
0: So that's Batman unexpectedly doing very, very well. Uh, Anything else? Digging its way into the box office, or is it
1: just bat dominated? Second place in the US is the anime Jujutsu Kaisen Zero The Movie, which took an impressive 14.8 million this weekend. Definitely a huge market for animes. Um Uncharted still holding in there with another 7.8 million added to its total, taking its US total up to 125 million so far. Worldwide, it's on 337 million. The horror film X opened in fourth place with 4.4 million and dog still drawing in audiences with an additional 4 million. Here in the UK, again Batman holds the top spot. It's taken 3.3 million pounds this weekend, taking it to 32.5 million uh, since release. Uncharted holds into second place. It's now up to 22.7 million in the UK. The Nan movie staggers everyone's expectations and actually comes in, in third place, but only with 565,000 According to audience exit polls, approximately 79% of people say that the film exceeded their expectations. You know, if I laugh once when watching this film, that will have exceeded my expectations. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, again, showing that anime's got a popular following, has taken 517,000 to put it into fourth place, and Sing 2 is still holding in at the fifth place. A film that we're going to be reviewing later in the show, Phantom of the Open, opened in sixth place. And... X, which opened strongly in the US, opened into seventh.
0: So in the rest of the news, and actually just coming off the back of what we've been talking about with the Batman, it seems that Paul Dano has written a Riddler Year One comic for Mm. DC.
1: Yeah, I saw that. It's uh, interesting. I've never considered him as a story writer as well, so I will be picking this up to give it a check.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued. I don't know much about it other than it's Riddler Year One and... uh, and be an interesting perspective. I'll, I'll certainly pick this up uh, when it comes
1: out. Jumping from that into other DC news and Warner's news, um, there's been more casting onto the Blue Beetle film, which you remember was originally going to be a straight-to-TV streaming movie.
0: Yeah, it was HBO Max, wasn't it?
1: Uh, it's now being confirmed to be getting a big screen outing. Okay. Uh, Oscar nominee Adriana Barraza, actor-comedian George Lopez, Elpida Carrillo and Damien Alcazar have all joined the cast of the film for DC and Warner Brothers. Zolo Maraduena from Cobra Kai stars as Jamie Reese, a a working-class El Paso teenager devoted to his family with no connection to superheroes, who finds the mysterious Scarab half-buried in a disused lot. It comes alive, grabs itself to his spine, and gives him a suit of extraterrestrial armour. The four new actors are joining the Reyes family, including Lopez as Uncle Rudy, Balazar as Nana, Camilo as Rocio, and Alcazar as Alberto. And they're joining Belisa Escobedo, Bruna Marquezine um, and Harvey Gillen from um, What We Do in the Shadows, who's uh, absolutely marvellous in What We Do in the Shadows. And I can't wait to see what he can bring to an actual big screen adventure.
0: Interesting enough, he's also the voice of Nightwing in the next season of The Harley Quinn Show, which is good fun. Very adult and good fun. Uh, Sticking with streaming, uh, The Mandalorian Season 3 is in production right now. And Back to the Future star, Christopher Lloyd, is joining the cast. Don't know as whom yet, a lot of speculation, but it's good to see any time you see Christopher Lloyd on the screen. It, it's it's why we live in this world.
1: It yeah. was an absolute gem when he popped up in Nobody.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Scene stealing.
1: Yeah. Stole every moment. The Oscars are rapidly approaching. It's next weekend. So when this goes out, you've only got a few more days. And on next week's show, we will be able to talk about which what won and what didn't. And this week, it's been discovered that the live show will have a performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno, the smash hit song from Encanto. Despite the fact that that song isn't actually nominated for any awards.
0: It's a fan favourite. Dos
1: O'Gitas, another song from the film, is. It's basically, they shoehorned it in because they want to get audience figures up. And they're also adding in a tribute to the 60th anniversary of Bond. So 10 years ago, we already had a 50th anniversary tribute. So let's just repeat that again and take up some more time. And a 50th anniversary of Godfather tribute. So all these extra sections that they're using to pad out this show, that they said they have to keep tight. And that's the reason why they've taken eight categories off the live feed and are going to do an edited versions of those being handed out. This is causing a lot more backlash. Now, over the past few weeks, there's been a lot of backlash since we reported that they were taking away, like the editing category, the sound, mixing categories, et cetera, recording them off air, and then editing it down to be just like, here's the award, da da, 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 da quick snippets of um, the acceptance speech, and gone. All the heavy hitters of Hollywood have spoken out and basically derided the Academy's decision to do this. You've got like Spielberg and like huge names who've just said, this is disgraceful. And it's uh, the fact that they're just overlooking the, the minor awards But they're only minor in that you've got the big heavy hitter of best picture, best director and the best actor, best actress. The rest of them are all equally significant because without an editor, you haven't got a film. Absolutely. Without a sound engineer, you haven't got an audio track. All of these things are critical to films. It's just absolutely a slap in the face to all these people to be told that they're not going to be part of the live event. But having a song from a film that wasn't actually nominated for an award is going to be part of it as is tributes to things that they've already done tributes of in the past yeah no
0: i'm with you totally with you
1: they're turning it into an entertainment show and to try to get the general audience back involved and as a result they're irritating the film audience people like myself who sit up because i'm fascinated with film and i want to see these awards i'm getting less and less enthused about watching the oscars because it's going to become like a three-hour comedy routine with a few bits of entertainment. If I want to see that, I'll watch the Royal Variety performance. And for those in, who aren't in the UK, the Royal Variety performance is trash. It's very disappointing that the Academy haven't reversed their decision on any of this live streaming aspect at the moment. And I hope I mean, I know that I'll still be tuning in, but I hope that they don't get the rising viewing figures that they're, they're wanting to get, and they revert back to normal next year.
0: I think it's too late now to address it, and um, as you said, looking ahead, then maybe they've learnt a lesson. I think probably yes, it's too late. I mean, they'll, they'll be into rehearsals and having shot it. it it's a deplorable idea. I'll, I, I absolutely, I'm absolutely with you. You know, the technicals. I know what it's not the majority of, of audiences going to see, but. This is supposed to be a celebration of an industry and the technicals are a huge part yeah. of that industry and you, you can't ignore it. It's not just about star turning performances or best movies, music, yeah. sound, costume, wardrobe, makeup, editing, all those are important factors in, you know, films can be made in the edit.
1: Yeah. More
0: than one occasion that, that a film has gone into the edit and that's where it, it succeeded out because the footage wasn't as great as the edit was. So, absolutely, it's not always about the flashy edit.
1: Imagine if Zack Snyder's Justice League had a decent editor, it wouldn't be four over four <laughs> hours long, and it might be it might be a punchy two hours thirty.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm totally in agree. And the last act of the Batman, but I know that's controversial right now.
1: I'm, de- I'm determined to get hate mail from all the all the Snyder bots <laughs> out there. It's easy to do,
0: Andy. It's not like you. It's not like you know, you know, you just kick the bear. It it, it does turn. Did you see that this week that Chloe Zhao uh, spoke out on The Eternals and its uh, divided reception?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'd had a scan through that and um, saw her response to it. it. You know, she she rightfully so stands by her film that they were making a film that they wanted to make.
0: Yeah, it, it was an atypical Marvel film. Now, it does have its faults um, and, and, and plenty. I don't think it's I don't think it should be derided yet. It's still even in pandemic world, the film managed to pull in over 400 million at the box office. So it wasn't a failure. It just underperformed. So it wasn't seen as a disaster. But as she said, the film itself is about an existential crisis, both for humanity and for God. So I think we definitely felt that the backlash was due on it. And and Marvel were due backlash, no matter what. But it's it's a great film. And I think I said at the time, this was a film that uh all those people who said Marvel keep making the same film, well, okay, this time they didn't. And the reaction was, let's go back and see the kind of films that Marvel usually make. So damned if yeah. you do and damned if you do. But interestingly, she was very aware, and it seems that Marvel were very aware that the, the backlash was, was imminent on that particular film.
1: I see there's also been uh, speculation, and it's a warranted speculation, and I don't know where it's come from. There's been speculation from some members of the online community that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will get a 15 rating in the UK?
0: Mm, uh, No, I don't see it personally.
1: Let's be honest, it won't. But it's because the BBFC have classified the latest trailer as a 15 rating. People who are thinking that this means that the film's going to be a 15 don't understand that the editing in a trailer can make something seem much more terrifying or impactful. But when it's seen in the context of of the full film, it doesn't have the same impact. And there's been plenty of examples of trailers that were rated higher than the film itself even though they included the same scenes because it is about how it's edited together and that's that's what we just said about the oscars editing's important yeah uh,
0: interestingly enough over the last week this couldn't have been more uh, on the nose is i've been teaching uh, in my film course about Uh, the BBFC and editing. And the reason that trailers are edited with a higher rating than the film are is because they are uh, unbridled, which basically means you go into a cinema and you go and choose the film that you want to watch, but you don't choose the trailers. Trailers are are chosen by the distribution companies. So you don't get to judge what you're going to see. So trailers have to be be rated according to, to the content of them as Andy you just said yeah and more often than not trailers are rated higher than the movies themselves and that is I'm afraid for those anybody who's going he doesn't know what he's talking about is I know what I'm talking about and that is a fact having just been part of a, 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 a BBFC uh, seminar about trailers this yeah. very week it couldn't have, <laughs> couldn't have timed it better on a bit of a thread from Doctor Strange go back to the original director, Scott Derrickson, who pulled out of Doctor Strange 2. Apparently it was a lot more amicable than had initially been reported, but he has got Black Phone, a very creepy looking horror film coming out soon, based on a Joe Hill short story, which got pushed back to primetime summer slot earlier this year, amid really good early buzz. Anyway, his next feature is already En route, and it's a film called The Gorge. And according to Derrickson himself, this is a high action genre bending love story from a script by Zach Dean, who brought us the time traveling alien fighting movie, The Tomorrow War.
1: Yep, uh, I'm looking forward to Black Phone.
0: Yeah, me too. The, the trailer was particularly uh, particularly creepy.
1: Uh, but that's that's opening in late June, isn't it? Yeah. So that's one to look out for. But it's interesting that you know, Derrickson is known for his horror aspects. And when he was took off Doctor Strange, people were just like, "Oh, do just they were, Disney want to move away from the horror stuff?" But The Gorge is an action romance tale, so yeah. he's he's spread himself out a bit. Let's see what he gets with it. And Zach Dean, I mean, Tomorrow War wasn't a perfect film, but I think it had enough energy and enough vibes in there to you know keep it together.
0: Yeah, again, read the original script. It's it does differ quite quite a lot from the film that we got. We've been talking about this for some time. That Amazon has now completed its 8.5 billion, yep, billion deal to buy MGM Studios.
1: Yeah, uh, th- I mean this is huge news, simply because the property that that gives Amazon direct access to is basically the classics of Hollywood. Yeah, let
0: alone the-, the Bond movies and and Rocky movies.
1: Yeah. Most of, the, most of the our journals out there have been focusing purely on the Bond and Rocky aspect. But MGM holds a wealth of cherished and beloved titles, and it really makes Amazon a powerhouse when it comes to property ownership. Because, I, I mean, look at the streaming channels. Disney have all their Disney content and all the Fox content, and they're, they're a tough cookie to actually match up to. Amazon having all the MGM content... It makes me now wonder, where's this going to leave Netflix?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I was talking this week about you know you mentioned it a little earlier, the uh, cost of everything going up. Something eventually household wise will have to give if it, you know with, yeah. if petrol goes up to two pounds a gallon, then something has to give and I think something will, will have to go. Um, at the moment, it's, it's kind of feeling a little bit like Netflix for me. yeah, yeah it's not, not engaging at the moment.
1: Paramount Plus, as it rolls out internationally, will take all the Paramount content, which is everything Star Trek, yeah. um, for example, off the channel. They've already lost all the Disney and Marvel stuff, uh, including all the Marvel, Di- Marvel Netflix shows have now made it onto Disney Plus. Bit by bit, Netflix are going to be chiseled down to just having their own content. And yes, they have a lot of content. They release multiple films ev- every week internationally. There's always yeah. at least three or four new things that drop, but will it be enough to sustain them? Because let's be honest, they don't market their own products that well, and people stick no. with Netflix because they discover that a, a beloved film has landed on there. I mean, at the moment, in some territories, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which we keep referring to this week for some reason, um, has now landed on Netflix, and it's become the number one in some countries for being streamed. And that's an example of people are watching other things other than Netflix shows and Netflix films. So, yeah, I, it would be strange if Netflix goes this way because these are the ones who basically kickstarted the whole streaming content.
0: Yeah, we said that would be the one that would outlast. But, it, but interesting. I mean, I'm still not con- convinced that uh, Paramount is going to yeah. going to last and I don't think it will do as much in this country. But, you know, with the MGM buy... For Amazon, they're going to get such classics as 12 Angry Men, Robocop yep. series, uh, Silence yep. of the Lambs. It seems that Jeff Bezos has given a thumbs up for the uh, Anna Diarmus Bond spin off. And yep. that seems to be the choice that, that they've made. You know, And TV shows like Fargo, uh, Handmaid's Tale, uh, they're all under the MGM banner. So we shall see. We'll see where this goes.
1: It's going to be interesting. It Also, basically, with Amazon owning MGM, it gives them an outlet for cinema distributions that they can start having some of their Amazon films tagged with the MGM tag. We enjoyed the, more rec- the most recent Scream entry. And so we can now get excited that March the 31st, 2023 is the set release date for the sixth entry in the Scream franchise. Paramount and Spyglass Media, which produced the the reboot, which was a mini-reboot of the series, and it did a fantastic gross of over $139 million on a $25 million budget. And it's retaining the teaming of um, Alpen and Gillett, who are returning to direct, with Vanderbilt and Busick back to co-write the screenplay. And they've confirmed that Courtney Cox will be one of the returning characters. As she said, I got the script yesterday. I haven't read it yet. I just got it. I'm excited to read it. And I know they're going to start filming, I think, in June in Canada. I enjoyed this reboot. I'll be hopeful watching the next one simply because Open and Gillett sticking around for it. And they were the reason why I was drawn towards Scream 5, as it was, or just Scream, as they called it. Even though all the films after the first one weren't as good, this was almost as good as the original.
0: Okay, I'm still, I'm still behind on, on viewing that one. I know you'll be excited about this, but John M. Chu and Emily V. Gordon are making. You know, there's been this, this smattering of, of sort of buildable brick-based movies. Well, apparently, there's going to be a Play-Doh movie. Yeah, I can see, I can, I can feel you. I can feel you underwhelmed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, we've spoke about this in past news things when we've been talking about other properties which have been adapted from the toy world. Over to film, and um, I don't know. Do we really want a Play-Doh movie? Rank this alongside the Slinky movie, as far as Which I'm concerned. Which has
0: been talked about for generations.
1: Just give me pop-up pirates. The movie, I'll be happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that might be a feed for our, our our Twitter exploration. What what toy movies? No, it's too early. What toy too movie early. do you want?
1: <laughs> um, Netflix has announced a July the fourteenth premiere date for its live action original series adaptation of the Resident Evil game franchise yes the Resident Evil game franchise that has already had one franchise of films and had a reboot not so long ago is now got another reboot of live action as a TV series
0: yeah I think it would work better as a TV series now I wasn't drawn to the Resident Evil movie you had a fairly good time with it if I remember I had fun with it I I I Read a few, few reviews in advance and uh, and I wasn't drawn to it.
1: It worked for me because it, it lent heavily into the first and second game and it captured the tone and the atmosphere of them really well. With this new one, the new film, the new TV series adaptation, takes place in 2036, 14 years after the deadly virus has caused global apocalypse. Jade Wesker fights for survival in a world overrun by bloodthirsty, infected and insane creatures. So whilst it's an adaptation of Resident Evil game franchise, it sounds like they're just doing their own thing with the franchise, similar yeah. to the same way that Paul W.S. Anderson did. This is not going to have direct links, except for the names of some characters. But the series will star names like Lance Reddick as Albert Wesker, alongside Ella Bal- Balinska, Tamara Smart, Sienna Ogedong, Odaline Rudolph, Paolo Nunes. Some decent names that you, even if you don't recognize the name, you'll recognize them as soon as they're on the screen. Uh, Andrew Dab is executive producing, writing, and serves as showrunner. And it's Constine, Constantine Films that are backing the project. Um, it arrives a full year after Netflix's animated series, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, came came out. I'll be watching it. I'll be checking it out. I'd rather see a sequel to that recent reboot. Oh,
0: okay. I'm more intrigued by the series than, than the, the movie. Uh, I really am. Talking of Netflix and series, J.J. Uh, Abraham's production company, Bad Robot, is working on a series uh, a biographical series about the rock band U2, which will be written by the scribe behind Bohemian Rhapsody. Really? Is, is that something you can make <laughs> a series out of, of U2? I mean, most bands, let's be honest, pretty dull how they get together. Group of mates, put an advert in a paper, somebody yeah. turns up, or they all go to school together or whatever, and then you've got a band. They're not very dramatic places. To to really talk. I mean, I know there's the Danny Boyle upcoming Sex Pistols series, which, of course, that was was a a game changer for music in the UK. But a U2 series? And it's not that I dislike U2. I have seen them live. I think they're a fairly decent band. I know there's a lot of love for them. But a U2 biographical series? I don't know. I am more interested in the idea that True Detective is getting a season four with Barry Jenkins and Isa Lopez teamed up to, to to play in that because i while season one was a classic season two was I, I, much maligned but season three was definitely back on track so i'm looking forward to the idea of a season four
1: same here with, with regards to the u2 thing the one thing that we've got to be happy with is that at least it's on netflix and not apple because apple would have forced it into all of our eyes yeah the same way that when oh, I, I still wake up with nightmares of that morning that i woke up to find that a U2 album had been pushed onto my device overnight without me even asking. <laughs>
0: yeah, they'd it. insist oh. that you, uh, <laughs> that you it would just turn up.
1: Have you seen the have you seen the rumours getting circulated? And they are rumours. We like to specify when it's just rumours and nothing's been confirmed. That Damon Lindelof is developing a Star Wars film for Lucasfilm?
0: No, I've not seen that rumour, and I like Lindelof.
1: It's unclear if he's working with another writer, if there's a director attached, and it's even like unclear as to whether this is actually a real thing. But... There's a lot of speculation.
0: No, I'm certainly intrigued.
1: If he, if Linloff is actually making a Star Wars film, that puts him alongside the long list of people who are potentially going to be making Star Wars stuff, such as Patty Jenkins, Taika Waititi, and even Kevin Feige, who's been attached to a mysterious Star Wars film project, which is in development. It does seem very light on the actual movie news for Star Wars at the moment. Everything seems to be focused on their TV shows. And I do think that Star Wars does long on the big screen i i don't know
0: i with the last three i feel as though i'm more intrigued by opening up the world and discovering the world through through the shows i think the obi-wan kenobi uh trailer looked pretty darn good uh and i'm more intrigued by the the trailer and i think i can you know you can see where it can go that than i am seeing another movie to be honest, I, out of all the recent Star Wars movies, uh, Rogue One is still the one that stands out the most for me.
1: I've enjoyed most of the, well, I've enjoyed half of the Star Wars input across the decades, to be honest with you. Uh, it's it's not. I'm not as beholden to it as I initially thought I was. Uh, but I, I enjoyed the Skywalker sequel trilogy. Last Jedi, not so much, but on rewatch, I kind of appreciated what he was trying to do with it. It's just a shame that it kind of messed up all the story. And it caused the third film to have to try to retread and repackage things. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to see one of these projects actually come to fruition because we've had, you know, Ryan Johnson's proposed trilogy. I'd love to see what Ryan Johnson could do with his own characters rather than the Skywalker yeah. character on the big screen. Let's see. Anyway, it's yeah, we've already got Star Wars content on the TV, so let's let's go with what we've got and wait until we see things coming out. Have you seen the casting? Well, we don't even know who she's been cast as, but the new person added to uh, Sony's universe of Marvel characters in the Madam Web film.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did notice that one.
1: Sid- Sydney Sweeney, who comes from Euphoria and The White Lotus, has been added to work alongside Dakota Johnson, who's going to be in the title role as Madam Web. We don't know anything about who Sweeney's been playing. People are speculating already. I was like, oh, is it going to be a Gwen Stacy character? Uh, or is it going to be a Silk character? Is it going to be any of the spiders, or will it be Black Cat? Who knows? Yeah, it's all
0: pure speculation at this point.
1: And to round off the news, uh, filmmaker Judd Apatow's middle-aged married couple dramedy, This Is 40, is getting a sequel called This Is 50, because of course it is.
0: Yeah, unless you went back in time.
1: I enjoyed This Is 40. The film came out in 2012, and I was approaching 40, so I could relate to all the issues. So I'm interested to see what Apatow can do with This Is 50 and see whether it reflects my life at this point in time. This news has come out as he's promoting The Bubble, which is doing the advertising rounds at the moment, and is going to be coming out onto Netflix within the next couple of weeks. Let's mark this down as something I'm interested in.
0: So, this news landed just before our show came out this week, but the sad passing of of William Hurt, who died on March the 13th, one week shy of his 72nd birthday. An absolute, um, an absolute shock, actually, to, to hear that William Hurt passed away. He's uh, one of those actors who's just seemed absolutely uh, uh, eternal. He's been in so many different films uh, uh, as a leading man, as a, as a secondary actor, as a, uh, a character actor. He won Best Actor for his starring role in 1985's Kiss of the Spider-Woman was nominated the next two years for Children of a Lesser God and Broadcast News, starting movies uh, with Lawrence Kasdan, The Big Chill and Body Heat, uh, Into the Wild, let alone uh, film fans will probably know him now, for for his contribution to the MCU, where he played uh, General Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, Movies like Lost in Space, he was in everything, let alone things like humans on TV, uh, supporting roles, cameos. Uh, he's left behind an absolutely huge body of work.
1: A sad loss. There's a load of films throughout my life that he's been in, so he was an instantly recognisable actor. Uh, when he got cast as General Ross, it was a great piece of casting choice, and, yeah, it, it, it's presented into a whole new audience at the same time. But films such as Altered States, Gorky Park, Broadcast oh, yeah. News, in the 90s uh, in particular, with films like Dark City, Um, AI, artificial intelligence, The Village and even the Lost in Space movie which I love and it's getting a deep dive at some point, all of those films are the ones that really captured my attention and we've spoken in the past of my love of Dune, the franchise and he played Duke Leto in the miniseries, so he's an actor that I've followed and enjoyed in pretty much every aspect of my film loving life, Uh, Sad Loss
0: I think you'd probably find, if you're a, a real film fan, that you've got one film, one of your favourite films. Uh, I don't think you'd be surprised to find that William Hurt could be in at least one of your favourite movies of all time, and that is this week's the news. You're listening to your favourite film cast podcast, the Film File, and if this is your first time, well, boy, have we got a surprise for you because there are a previous. 111 episodes, as well as bonus material. You're a gasp, I can tell. Become part of the Filmfile family. Head over to your favourite podcast platform. Check out the Filmfile, hit the subscribe button, and remember to leave a like. After you've done that, you can do so much more. As part of the Filmfile family, you can
1: meet us and greet us on... Twitter, at FilmfileUK. Other social media platforms, UK. You can find us on WordPress. Uh, filmfileuk.wordpress.com. Interact with us in any way that you want. Uh, Send us an email, podcast at filmfile.uk. We love hearing any feedback from you. We love any suggestions of what you want from us on the show. And occasionally we do actually uh, pay attention and deliver them as a few a few of our listeners have discovered over time when we've looked at films that they've suggested that we look at uh, you could probably find us on tinder
0: you're seeing if i was still paying attention weren't you
1: <laughs> so yeah just get in touch with us we love to get some feedback from you and we love to hear your film related thoughts
0: so come and join us at the film file and remember one of us, one of us, one of us,
1: one of us. I wasn't joining in on that deliberately. You weren't. <laughs>
0: it still creeps me out. It still creeps me out. <laughs> and now it's time for this week's deep dive. And this week, we're doing a deep dive into the 1981. Is it a horror film? Is it a comedy film? We'll tell you our thoughts as we talk about John Landis' classic, An American Werewolf in London. For the first 23 years of David Kessler's life, he was only human. Then one night he took a walk on the moors. Beware the moonlets. Is David behaving strangely? Are you all right now?
1: I'll let you know the next full moon. Tomorrow
0: night's the full moon. You're going to change. From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal, an American werewolf in London. So, directed by, at that point, comedy director John Landis. This film told the story of two American backpackers, David and Jack, who were attacked by a werewolf while travelling through the Yorkshire Moors in England. Jack is killed, but comes back with an ominous warning that David is destined to become a werewolf under the next full moon. This was kind of the first comedy horror that really did just that. Leaned heavily to horror with some visceral horror, And at times when you were screaming, the next scene was just laugh out loud funny. An absolute classic. I saw this at the cinema and people, there's one scene in particular, were leaping out of their seat. This is the first time that we saw the mind-bending special effects from classic makeup artist Rick Baker that changed the effects business forever. Now seem a little bit passé, I'm looking at you, Thriller, but at the time. They changed everything. A lot of love for this film. A lot of love because my first crush is in it, Jenny Agatha. <laughs> but a lot of love because I think it is one of those films which is absolutely timeless. Watch it again, and you'll see what I mean. Andy, do you have love for an American Werewolf in London?
1: Yes, I have a lot of love for this film. Uh, just like you, Jenny Agutter is a very, very my first early crush, crush.
0: Honestly, I fell in love with her. One of my honestly my first.
1: Same here. Absolutely. Because I fell in love with her watching her on Logan's run. And it was her being in this film, which was one of the reasons that I desperately needed to see this film. And, you know, when this film got released on VHS, because I was far too young to see it at the cinema in 1981. I don't think they would have let a young, um, well, eight year old boy go in and watch it. (laughs) So I had to wait until the VHS release. And when we when my mum rented it out for me, I watched it. At least three times before we had to take it back to the rental shop the next day because I just loved it. I mean, admittedly, it was also because at the age of eleven, when you rents you out a movie that's not only a horror but it has Jenny Agutter's boobies in there, um, <laughs> I was going to re I was going to rewatch that as much as I could. Uh, but no, it it's a it just impacted on me straight away right from the start up moments. I love the songs, I love the music of it because every bit of music is a moon-themed track. Yeah. You've got various variations of blue moon. You've got bad moon rising. Uh, yeah, There's so many moon tracks in there. I found it hilariously funny, whilst mildly scary. But it's a, it's a strange one, this, because when I was young, I wasn't scared by it. I found it hilarious. But as I've got older, I've started to get the horror aspects a lot more than the comedies because I think it plays well on the horror genre, that whilst it's got some great effects work and it's got some great shock, shock moments, it's the underlying horror that really carries it through, played so well by David Norton, Jenny Agatha and Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn as Jack is absolutely magnificent. He's the most cheery, zombified character that I've ever seen on screen. He seems to just be taking death in his stride. It's brilliant.
0: And each time you meet Jack, he's in a further state of decay uh, yeah. And at first, it's almost quite humorous that you see a, a slashed, uh, a half-devoured Jack. And by the end of it, it becomes more and more horrific. And and that's the trick of this film, because at, at times you don't know whether to laugh or scream. And it's hard to walk that thin line in, in horror between paying attention to both genres, horror, horror and comedy. And, and this film does it wonderfully. Um, the absurdity of being a werewolf is is explored in this and yet it stays true to every element of the legend. It, it plays it with sort of a, a glib New York sense of humour, as he, these characters are. Mm. I think it's this film that paved way for films like the Evil Dead trilogy, especially, you know, number two. Yeah. Even, even movies like Shaun of the Dead and Gremlins and, and and Beetlejuice, I think are all owing a great debt to John Landis' American Werewolf in London. It's, it's just a, a fantastic combination. Uh, and you mentioned the music and how key the music is you know the, the full variations on songs about moon from as you said blue moon to, to van morrison's bad moon rising which i i can't ever hear without thinking of this film but it's the transformation because it's the first time yeah. that we'd seen which is now a kind of a bit of a passe effect but we'd saw a full transformation of a of, of body horror of, of someone turning into a werewolf that didn't rely on goofy transitions or suddenly the the werewolf having teeth. What we got was the full-body horror of, of someone transforming, not into a wolf man, but a wolf. Stunning and revolutionary makeup effects by by the great Rick Baker. Uh,
1: yeah, it was the first, as a result, it was the first film to get an Academy Award for Best Makeup because the award category was added for 1981. So this was the very first film to win that award and well-deserved. Those effects, I re-watched this the other day, in preparation of the show. And those effects still stand up so well, because that's the thing with uh, practical effects, is that they will always look like practical effects, and they will always uh, keep the same consistency, no matter how long you wait. CGI effects, I mean, we've seen CGI werewolf changes in in the twilight movies we've seen it in i believe the american werewolf sequel uh, american werewolf in paris not worth checking out by the way that resorted to some cgi effects and that looks dated yeah that looked dated when it came out but this film still stands up well and it's it stands up well because at the heart of it it's a human drama about someone out of their element and confronted with a life-changing event and then it plays the horror, and then it plays the comedy. I've mentioned briefly the cast, but David Norton and Griffin Dunn, right from that starting moment as they're backpacking through the Yorkshire Moors, they've got a natural rapport between them that makes you instantly like them. And so the, the resulting attack that they get on the Moors comes as quite a shock, and it comes out of nowhere, even though it slowly signifies it as they're walking late at night. They've already had the warning from the slaughtered lamp pub from the residents in there with uh, Brian Glover telling, don't go on the Moors, stick to the road, lads. They they ignore that warning. They drift off track and you can hear the howling in the distance and they're getting worried. And then it just strikes from nowhere. And you don't see much, but you see the after effect. I remember reading as well that um, some audiences were confused because after the attack, the camera does a shot, which you see another person lying dead on the moors. And people are like, well, what's happened there? Who else has been killed? not realising that that's the werewolf that had transformed back, yeah. because this was the first time in film that it actually represented that link between the humanity and the werewolf, and that once you kill the werewolf, you killed the person. And audiences just were caught off guard with it. Now, we accept it. Any werewolf film, when the werewolf gets killed, we're going to see the dead body of the human side of them but it had never been represented on film before in such a way. We knew that humans turned into werewolves, but we'd never clicked that when the, you kill the werewolf, the human's dead.
0: Which is a plot point for what happens later in the film, as we know. Yeah, I mean, there's so much right about this. I mean, there's the one classic scene in which it's a dream upon a dream, and if you've not seen it, and, and there's a chance you've not seen it, which at the time, it, now it seems a little bit hokey because it's probably been done time and time again. At the time, this was fresh and different that made audiences leap out of their seats uh and, and just a, a great double yeah. scare which which was phenomenal it's it's a great film now i decline to re-watch this film because i've got such it's got such a, 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 a place in my heart as being a, a, a perfect comedy horror movie and in, in, at times a perfect Horror movie, and I, and I didn't, I didn't go back and watch this one over the last week because I, I didn't want to go. Did it hold up as well as I thought it was going to? I mean, and I've seen it so many times, I, could, I feel I can talk about it without making too much reference to it. I, I almost know the film off by heart. Um, does it still hold up? I, I've seen later critical reviews where the film gets a bit of a mauling. No pun intended. As, as part of it it's uh, been re-reviewed and it, did you find it does is it still fresh is it still deserving of the my original critical acclaim that i've given it after all these years
1: i feel that it is i rewatched it this week and yeah it's one of those films that i've rewatched so many times that maybe there's some element of my nostalgic rewatch aspect of a film that i loved as a kid that i still love now but i tried to watch it and try to look for things that i couldn't like in it and I couldn't find things that don't work. It's pacey. It keeps momentum going. There's there's a great wit to it. There's little simple, I mean, yeah, the, I, I know the child actor was terrible, but when he steals the balloons because he's running naked through the park, "Mummy, a naked man took my balloon. <laughs> um, you, you're just like, yeah, bad child actor, but you know what? I'm fine with it. It works a treat. It's It's a very slight story overall. There's not a great deal that happens in it a couple of transformations some great effects but it's like i said before it's the character aspect of it that you latch onto so everything else around it the horror side etc it, it's just circumstantial to what's going on and and yet it just really does gel as an overall entertaining film you can say that it is mostly the effects work that still hold up and still draw you in and still capture your attention but it works overall as a film. I, I can happily rewatch this over and over again, even though there's other films from my childhood that I, I, I had the same fondness for when I was young that I don't ever want to revisit because last time that I checked them out, it just didn't work out for me. I'm looking at you, Krull, Krull, I'm never gonna forgive you for <laughs> making me think that you're a good film. You weren't. The nostalgia factor can get eliminated straight away because I don't truck with that loving something simply because I grew up with it. Yeah. I will happily point out, if there's faults, with this film, I still can watch it with fresh eyes and still enjoy it immensely.
0: Just to give you a little bit of context on the background to the film. So Landis kind of worked his way up to becoming a director. and he, Initially, he was a, a production assistant in Yugoslavia on Kelly's Heroes, a Clint Eastwood movie, which I think we should talk about at some point. Mm. Uh, so one day, he and a Yugoslav member of the crew were driving back... Uh, in their car back to location where they came across a group of gypsies and they appeared to be performing a ritual on a man being buried so he wouldn't rise from the grave. This made Landis realize that he would never be able to confront the undead and gave him an idea for a film in which a man would go through the same thing. So he had the idea from 1969. He wrote the original first draft of it. Uh, It stayed on the shelf for over a decade. And then Landis's box office potential grew because originally people thought it was either a horror film, too much of a horror film, or too much of a comedy film and couldn't quite get their head around it. But, of course, he made Kentucky Fried Movie, National Lampoon's Animal House, which went through the roof, and then Blues Brothers, and he was in an A-list position. Uh, the studio originally wanted Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as David and Jack. Landis insisted on unknowns, and, and he made perfect choices. It's a shame we didn't see more of those actors because they they were phenomenal in that film. The film did lead eventually to a sequel which is best left forgotten and Landis had no control over that even though apparently and by legend he'd written a script called An American Werewolf in Paris but the version that we did get had nothing to do with him and is basically uh, should be shot with a silver bullet. I (laughs) didn't know there was a radio adaptation of this that came out in 1997 that also featured Jenny Agatha, Brian Glover, uh, John Woodfine, reprising this role of Alex Price, the chess player, uh, and the doctor, Dr. Hirsch. Uh, and I'm going to try and check it out and see if I can find it. Mm. But other than that, it basically, once you forget the sequel, just stands and on its own has been a classic piece of unique horror filmmaking.
1: Interesting bit that I discovered is that the film, aside from the film within the film, of uh, the uh, mock pawns, that see you next Wednesday. Was all filmed in sequence. Now, anyone who uh, knows anything about how films are made, usually, if they're using a location, they'll use it for films out of se- like filming out of sequence. And most films are filmed out of sequence and then edited together into the story mode. You hear, you read interviews with um, cast members who say that they had trouble having to pretend that they were at the end of the story and play that emotion before they actually get to the bits that lead up to it. But with this film, the bits at the start of the film set on the Yorkshire Moors, that was filmed first. And it flows through. And it, it basically means that the cast were going along with the story and developing with the story as the story was getting made. Very A very different way of going about it, but it pays off. It, it, it is interesting going back and re-watching this with fresh adult eyes and playing Spot the British actor in the, <laughs> the Slaughtered lamb pub. And as a kid, I didn't realise Rick Mayall was in there. But as an adult... It was like, I remember the first time I was like... Yes, he's in the pub scene, isn't he? Is that Rick Mayall? It's was like, no, it looks very different. Because I knew him from The Young Ones. And it was like, no, I think that is. And I remember arguing with some of my mates at school, saying like, oh yeah, uh, Rick from The Young Ones is in... Um, American Werewolf, and they just basically didn't, didn't believe me at all. And it took me ages to convince them to watch it again and pointing out at the screen going, look, look. And this is the days of VHS when you couldn't make out anything, let's be honest. Uh, so <laughs> trying to convince people of things back then. There is that nostalgia factor with the fact that you spot different actors in there. But as a film overall, this is still possibly one of my favourite, if not the favourite, werewolf film. I'd, I'd say that this and then maybe Dog Soldiers.
0: Uh, I've got less love for Dog Soldiers. I'd put The Howling before that one. I, I totally agree with you. I think I think it's a, a fantastic and, and classic film. There's been talk of remakes. Let's hope we never got one because it's, it's a film that doesn't deserve to be remade. No. And that is our deep dive for this week. An American Werewolf in London. And how can you find this film if you want to check it out for the first time? And, and if it is your first time you should check this film out.
1: Uh, you can find this at the moment if you subscribe to Stars on Amazon or as its own package. It's available as part of that package. If not, for £2.40 to like £3.40, you can rent either the standard definition or the HD one from all your services. And you
0: should. So it's time for reviews. Andy has been doing the Lord's work and watching the films that I den. But quickly before he starts, I'm just going to give a bit of a mention to The Boys Presents Diabolical. Uh, This is my very, very quick review. This is an offshoot of the great series that is running on Amazon, uh, which we're now due season three of The Boys, based on the comic by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson. Uh, It serves as a spin-off of the same name and it's an anthology series but it's animated released in eight episodes each of the episodes has its own animation style so the very first episode laser baby's day out is very much almost a throwback to the old warner brothers uh, Hanna barbera cartoons Uh, as we go through each of the episodes has a very very unique style if you're a fan of the boys it's very sweary of course it is but it is a lot of fun there's so much claret in it. <laughs> it's hard to believe. <laughs> it's exactly what you would hope for from a boys spin-off. A lot of fun. Some of the actors uh, do reprise their voices. It was nice to hear Simon Pegg finally adding voice to Little Huey. Um, fantastic. Well worth checking out. If you're a fan of The Boys, looking forward to the next season, check out The Boys Presents Diabolical on Amazon. Andy, over to you. What you got first?
1: So the first film that I'm going to talk about is my pick of the week, Phantom of the Open, which arrived at cinemas.
0: We were supposed to see this together, weren't we? But unfortunately, the great gods of cinema were against. I didn't choose golf;
1: it was destiny. Ah!
0: Sorry, Flippin' a
1: This year, I'm going to have a crack at the British Open. Every dreamer sure? deserves a shot. Uh-oh.
0: It's a sheer delight.
1: I want them bound from every club in the country. Whatever happens, no one can say he didn't try. The complete joy. Aim for the stars, you know what I mean. Sorry! The Phantom of the Open, only in cinemas March 18th. The true tale of Morris Flickcroft is one of those stories that you'd think is so preposterous that surely it didn't happen. A crane driver at the Barrow-in-Furness docks, Flitcroft, on a whim, decided that he wanted to enter the 1976 Golfing Open Championship, and so found a way to do so. With no skill at the game, and only a short time to practice, he played the worst round of golf the tournament has ever seen, and was banned from all courses and future events. But that didn't stop him using false names to keep trying, and in doing so, he became that very British of things, an underdog who we adore for simply trying and proving that we can all strive to live our dreams. Very much in the vein of the Eddie the Eagle film of a few years back. Itself a biopic of a British underdog failure who we as a nation fell in love with. Flitcroft's tale is lent a small dollop of artistic license to bring to the screen, but retains the essence of the journey. Mark Rylance, in the lead, falls totally into the part and delivers a performance that cannot help but make you root for Flickcroft as he's determined to defy the expectations of others. Sally Hawkins plays his wife, Jean, and the impact of Maurice's ambitions on his family play heavily into the story of the film, lending it the emotional weight to the tale. The film feels very much fitting of the 1970s era that it's set in, the visual style being reminiscent at times of media at the times, and the proceedings are also imbued with some choice needle drops of the decades to set the tone. Running at just over 100 minutes, the film is paced beautifully, packed with charm, wit, heart and drama in equal measure, and it's a great example of a British biopic, with Rylance showing us once more how he's possibly the finest character actor of our time this film should be on everybody's watch list
0: yeah i'm disappointed that we couldn't get to see this together i i do hope to see it a, a bit like you and i'm a massive massive fan of mark Rylance. So i just think he is an absolute screen treasure what else yeah. have you got
1: i said that i was going to watch this when we were mocking it last week but landed on disney plus the remake well new version of cheaper by the dozen
0: rather you than me
1: now streaming
0: I'm Zoe, and this is Paul. Don't be late. This place runs like a well-oiled machine. To see the biggest family comedy. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I really feel like there were a few extra children in there. I didn't recognize some of them. On Disney Plus. Go! What are you guys playing? Drag Race. Fun. I love RuPaul.
1: Cheaper by the dozen, rated PG. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. This third take on the tale about a couple and their huge household who find struggles in balancing work and family life as their business grows is a straight to Disney Plus movie and is probably comfortably at home there. Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union are the couple who have kids from previous relationships who come together, join families before adding a few more of their own along with adopting a couple of extras. With a homegrown business in the form of a diner, which specialises in all-day breakfast menu, coupled with their own brand of hot sauce, they struggle to make ends meet until an opportunity arises to expand the business by mass production of the sauce for retail. As the wealth increases and they move upwards in lifestyle, they encounter strains that impact on their large family. And as more and more opportunities arise, the strains risk tearing the family apart. With a film that has wit and charm, whilst also trying to balance a story about family, throwing in outside influences from past partners and an element of race issues into the mix. The ambition is respectable, but it's let down by the delivery. Every time that the film takes a step towards trying to make a serious point on an issue, it seems almost embarrassed to be tackling it. And so it swiftly cuts the scene and moves on. In fact, this swift movement of scenes means that the journey of the family over the course of the film seems quite choppy. And there's never any time spent on any one moment for it to have any sense of weight to it. Things just happen and are immediately forgotten without seeming to impact in any way. Which is a shame as there's clearly some harvestable material in here for a great take on the tale. Braff and Union are a great pairing and they do hold the central stage quite well. The kids are a mixed bag. And there's those who have some potential depth to their characters that are sadly given little to do with it. When the troubled nephew Seth is introduced, it adds a potential element of concern to the family that is teased at, but swiftly resolved for the audience. So any later revelations are not given any substance to them. In general, this happens far too much with the multiple story threads. None are explored in any richness and all are just fleeting diversions. There is some fun to be had, however, and there were moments of charming comedy that salvaged the chaos overall. But it's such a shame that the film tries to make a few statements at times, but fails to deliver them with any conviction. Overall, moderately enjoyable diversion, but immediately forgettable by the end.
0: You've not really sold it to me. And to be honest, there was never that much of a fan of the original. I thought it was just okay. And finally...
1: And the last couple, Windfall... Which has Jesse Plemons and Deep Water with Ben Affleck and Anna Diarmas. De so Deep Water is an erotic thriller which sees Ben Affleck grow increasingly angry at his wife's affairs with other men until he snaps and one of her latest desires is found dead in their pool with a finger of suspicion pointing at him. Affleck stars alongside Anna Diarmas, and both are normally solid names and actually had a relationship off screen, so surely the chemistry was right between them. Well. Watching this film, I can kind of see why that relationship is no longer a thing because there's zero chemistry between the two. Like I said, this is an erotic thriller and it was neither erotic nor thrilling. Ben Affleck is basically doing the sad Ben meme from the interviews that they had around Justice League for the whole film. If you are a fan of sitting and watching that meme over and over and over and over again, maybe you'll get something out of this film. But for me, this was a film that dragged. It had a generic story and it just fails to work. There some troubles on the production of this film, and you can tell. Deep water, dishwater, more like, as in this was as dull as. <laughs> I like that. And then Windfall. Now Windfall is a disappointment rather than a terrible film. Jason Seagal breaks into a vacation home of a wealthy CEO only to be disturbed by the couple as they have an unscheduled stay at the residence. The couple themselves, played by Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins, appear to have some tension between them. The three main cast are our primary characters throughout what should be a claustrophobic and intense examination of the class divides between the CEO and the, like Jason Seagal's character who's breaking in to steal something and take the wealth from someone who doesn't need it. And there should be tension and there should be drama And there should be a sense of peril and threat as all that Jason Seagal wants to do is get away without anything going wrong. He doesn't want to cause harm. He was only there to steal something could disappear, a victimless crime. But the whole film feels extremely, extremely flat. It's a shame Jesse Plemons is acting his socks off in this film and he's really good and he's really engaging. But everything else around him just doesn't live up to the same quality as himself And if the material's not there, then it makes no difference how good your cast are. It's just not going to pay off. By the end of this film, I just sadly didn't care about anyone's plight in the whole thing. I had no investment into any journeys, and I wasn't rooting for anyone in any way, shape, or form. Sadly, great names involved in it, let down by the presentation. Possibly the biggest disappointment that I've seen this week.
0: I originally had faith in Windfall. I was about to watch it, but then I got uh, well. I'll be talking about it in my deep dive. Got into watching Picard, and then The Boys presents diabolical. So uh, I, I I didn't get around to Windfall, and every intention of reviewing it with you, but it sounds like I, I dodged a bullet.
1: It just meanders.
0: So what have we got coming up over the next week? Uh, let alone mentioning Peacemaker, which lands on Sky Atlantic and now TV. Other than *Peacemaker*, Andy,
1: what have we got coming up this week? So at the cinemas, there's the horror film Uma, which gets released. And there's the, well, I consider it a horror, Michael Bay's Ambulance gets released cinemas next week.
0: Oh, is that right? Has that turned around already? I was expecting a. Yep. I don't know. I was expecting a May release for it for some reason.
1: Uh, it's uh, it's next week. Uh, will I get to watch it? Will I break my tradition of refusing to watch Michael Bay films? Find out next week. You've already mentioned Peacemaker on Now TV and Sky, uh, but Raised by Wolves season two also comes this week, and I'm very excited for that. Films-wise on Now TV and Sky, People Just Do Nothing, Big in Japan. If you're a fan of the BBC series, which I was, it's worth checking out the film. Just don't expect much. It was kind of unnecessary. And Don't Breathe 2 also lands this week. Netflix, pick of the week on films on the streaming for me. Boiling point. Spoke about it a few weeks ago on the show. Stephen Graham film, marvellous. On Amazon, Spencer is getting released. And on Disney Plus and Star, uh, this is one that we will talk about next week, The Eyes of Tammy Faye.
0: Yeah, lands
1: This coming week. And there's also the adventures of Book Wild for those people who still care any way, shape or form about the Ice Age franchise.
0: And that, folks, well, it's just about it for this week. But before we go, and we do this every week, our neat thing. So stuff that Andy and I have watched, enjoyed, whether that's food, a game,
1: a book, as long as it's neat, then it's our neat thing. Andy. It's been a while since I mentioned Brickbox, isn't it?
0: It has been a while, uh, even though, funnily enough, I uh, was talking about Time Slip, which you told me is on BritBox, and I, I really want to see it, so I might just sign up for BritBox uh, just for them.
1: I've got another reason to sign up to BritBox. Oh, you
0: do this to me every week with BritBox.
1: Because I, I jumped on to check what new content had been added, and straight away started watching a show that I remember watching as a kid, and I'm loving it. I'm three episodes in, and I can't wait to get, continue the adventures of Monkey,
0: Oh, I can no, I'm I'm done. You had me. I'm not. I'm not. I I hated Monkey. Oh,
1: I, hated oh I adored it. It's a it's a comical um martial arts television drama based on the 16th century Chinese novel Journey to the West. And this was something that I lapped up as a child. This is what I think. This is one of those moments that 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 slight divide between us age wise becomes more prominent because everyone when I was at school was into Monkey. And we used to tune in on BBC Two each week and then be in school the next day, reenacting scenes from it. It's bonkers. It's crazy. It, it's one of them that I had memories of it being one thing and being fun. And then when I'm watching it, it's even more bizarre than I remembered it being. And I'm loving it. It is so surreal. It's another great example for me of why BritBox is such a great service because Monkey's not being available to grab hold of anywhere. I've looked for it in the past and not been able to find it except for dodgy YouTube uploads. So now I can get a chance to revisit all these memories of older shows via Britbox. If Monkey's not your thing, don't let that put you off checking out Britbox anyway, because there's a huge wealth of other things on there. All classic shows, The Prisoner's on there, Sapphire and Steel's on there, all the the cult classics, as well as if you're a Doctor Who fan, all the Doctor Who adventures that are still preserved are on there. I might be tempted. They've also started tapping into making their own shows. They started this with Spitting Image but they've done some various dramas which I need to check out at some point. But for me, the neat thing for me this week has been finally getting a chance to revisit Monkey or Monkey Magic as people erroneously referred to when it got initially released in the UK simply because that theme tune which I've got rattling around my head now and I won't sing for you all Good. because uh it, it'll just upset you monkey on Brit box that's my neat thing this week
0: mentioned it earlier uh, I've binged it over the weekend it's on Amazon and that's season two of Picard it was your neat thing last week it's my neat thing this week I'm not a big binger and I've, I've said this many times I uh, and for a series two to make me want to invest mm. hour after hour is got To be something special, and I think I totally agree with what you said. I thought the first season was patchy, just the fact that it became fan service with every episode and didn't really go anywhere. But this season has got much more drive to it. Of course, it's fantastic to see Patrick Stewart back in the role of Picard, and uh, even in his aged years, the, the guy is so charismatic on screen. But of course, what is making this second season work is the reappearance of Q played fantastically with so much charm by John DeLancey. Uh, I even like the fact that they figured out how to age him up. But he is he's, he's such a strong screen presence. To hold your own against Patrick Stewart, you've got to be pretty damn good. Uh, and he is, uh, he is a marvellous foil for him. So the cast, again, features Alison Pill, Jerry Ryan, Michelle Hurd, uh, Evan Evagora. I'm having a good time with it. I'm having a really, really good time with it. And as I said, I'm I'm three episodes in. I think the next one drops tomorrow or Monday. But so, so far, so good. I love the time travel aspect as the crew and the Borg are whisked back into an alternate present for them. And then they come back to Los Angeles in 2024 in a race against time to save the future and, of course, to save the galaxy. Great fun. And I'm now interested in seeing where it goes and see if it does get a a third season, which reportedly it is. And that, folks, is it for the film final for this week. Uh, As ever, our pleasure to bring you the show and uh, hopefully it's your pleasure to listen to it.
1: Thanks for listening, folks. Next week, we will talk about the Oscars, which I'll be staying awake for this coming Sunday. And be, be sure to get in touch and check out our Twitter feed just to get involved with the questions that we're throwing out which we will draw back to and tell the results of as the shows progress.
0: I'm working on the title the Film Final Question of the Week, but I don't know if that's lacking any pizzazz. But we will see you again next week. But of course, before we go, I will not be threatened by a walking meatloaf.